Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. The lies are getting so clever these days. I think we're all kind of getting fooled. Have you, anybody seen the new Indiana Jones movie? So I saw it, I saw it like a, two weeks ago or something. And, uh, and they, they, um, they've done this deep fake thing where they take Indy's young face and put it on this body to shoot new footage of back in the 1940s or whatever it is. So, so they've, using computer technology that make it look like young Indiana Jones, which, you know, they need to do that because Harrison Ford is like 80 or something now. And so... You know, they're trying to make like 40-year-old Harrison Ford in the movie, and, and they do it, and it's pretty convincing. I was sort of aware of it the whole time. I'm like, oh, I don't know, something seems a little off about this, whatever, and they do it pretty well, but that's where we're at. We can, we can make things, at least on video, look, can, we, can, we can tell a lie, to, we can lie to your face and make it look very convincing. We're doing this with video, we're doing it with audio. Uh, my, my brother uh, likes to predict things that he sees trends coming in culture, and he, he texted me this week, and he said... They can, they can mimic people's voices now. If you just get a couple seconds of you talking, they could come back to you and have a whole conversation in your voice based on just a few seconds. And so he said, I predict in the next presidential election in 2024, there's going to be some audio clip from some presidential candidate, and it will be, and no one will really know if it's real or not, if it was generated by a computer and just made to say these things, or if the person actually said it, and there's going to be all this debate, and I'm like, okay, that's interesting, because the lies are getting so clever, and then you, you, you dive into sort of the, the AI stuff going on with ChatGPT and all these things, and it's like, okay, um, it's getting weird, it's getting really weird out there, and we are being deceived, and, and we don't even necessarily know it sometimes. We don't know what's true, and it's hard to dis- dis- uh, distinguish between the truth and the lies, and so... I think we all have to develop some strategies for coping with it. For, for me, my strategy is to back slowly away. So I was on more social media platforms than I am on now. I'm one by one sort of dropping off of these things and backing away because I don't know if it's uh, getting curmudgeonly or older or whatever. I don't know. Maybe that's a part of it. But I, I just I, I long for the real thing, the, the real conversation with real people in a non-digital environment and I want to eat real food that was made not in a processed way and I want to be in the real places that were built by real human hands and I like the the dream of the metaverse is a nightmare to me I'm like no no let's go the other direction and go back into um, I would argue the way God designed the body to work to to experience you know the actual universe, which is better than the metaverse, I think. Uh, it's, it's, it's real. And so that's the direction I feel like I'm going. Um, and, I, and hopefully by spending time in the real, I can distinguish the truth from the lies, and it'll help me to do that. What is your strategy for distinguishing the truth from the lies and, and all that information coming in? How do you sort of parse it out and figure out what is actually real? You're like, well, I watched that one TV channel where it's fair and balanced. I'm like, that's not going to work. It's not... We're beyond that now. We're, we're beyond that. We've got to go to a, a, another level and figure out how do we, what is the signal and what is noise of all the input that's coming, coming at us. We are not, I, I know it's sophisticated and clever now with all the digital technology, but we're not the first people to be deceived. 
People have been, been lying to people and people have been lied to for millennia. It's been going on since probably the, really the Garden of Eden. It goes all the way back to the beginning of human history. I want to talk about it today because uh, we've been reading through the book of First John. It was one of uh, th- three letters written by, uh, well, John, uh, who wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote First, Second, Third John. He wrote the book of Revelation, uh, some of these letters in the New Testament. And, and he wrote this letter to the church um, around the city of Ephesus in western Turkey. And he writes it in the late, you know, sort of the 80s, early 90s AD, uh, late first century. And he's already seen Christianity grow from its infancy of Jesus dying on the cross somewhere around 30 AD. From that time to where he is at now, he's already seen the lies start to come out. He's already seen deception, people misrepresenting the truth. It's already starting to happen there early on. And so he's writing in part to address it. Uh, so we're going to jump in. We, we've been reading through First John, and we got up through probably half of chapter 2 last week, and we're going to finish out chapter 2 um, today. And so I want to point you to First John chapter 2, verse 18, 19. It's always good that if you have a Bible on paper, that way you know I'm not digitally manipulating you on the screen and putting up something that's not true, that ChatGPT wrote the Bible for me this week. No, I, people have asked me, have you used ChatGPT to write a sermon? I have not, okay? Um, not yet, anyway. Uh, <laughs> I haven't had that kind of week yet. <laughs> so, um, so, so uh, verse 18, we'll put up on the screen. You can always look at it in Scripture as well. Here it is. Um, it, it says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father... Oh, that's not even it either. See, I'm already lying to you. That was verse 18, which is not the one we're going to see. You, got, you don't know, guys. You don't know who's telling you what. Just... You've got to be able to discern the truth here. I'm going to go with uh, this other verse, 18, since I just read you 15. Uh, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. All right, this is one of the clues that we have in this letter about what John is writing the letter for, like what is the purpose of the letter that he's writing. And he's talking about a group of people that were part of the church and then have left the church and have started something else and have become something else. They've they've sort of splintered off to this other group. And he refers to them as antichrists. I think we should talk about that just for a moment because if you say antichrist in modern sort of, American, Western, evangelical thought, Antichrist kicks up these images of like uh, this global leader who's going to unite the world under one power and is going to make everybody get like 666 stamped on their forehead and it's going to be like this crazy thing that's going to happen and we're all going to come under it. And so throughout history, more modern history, throughout history, people have looked at like, well, who's the Antichrist? And they've been trying to figure this out. And so they're, they're like, well, maybe Hitler. I mean, that would be a good candidate, right? He's, he seemed pretty anti the thing Jesus was about. So maybe Hitler's Antichrist. More modern, maybe Putin. Maybe we can pick, you know, pick your, pick your powerful world leader who's aggressive and go, maybe that's the Antichrist, right? Maybe it it could be, you know, and and so we we kind of do this thing and we try to figure out who is the Antichrist as if the Antichrist is one person. However, John just said Antichrists, plural, 
And he, said, and he describes people in his day. He's talking about something going on in that culture. And if we're actually going to use the word antichrist from the Bible and think it means something, then we should look at what the Bible actually says when it uses that word. And it only uses that word here. So before we get into like we're all getting this thing stamped on our forehead, uh, look how John actually uses the word. In fact, he's going to tell us exactly what it means. Let me go down two verses, verse 22. He says this, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. That's pretty clear. Not everything in the Bible is that clear. That's pretty clear. Hey, who's the Antichrist? Well, I guess, according to John, who wrote the word, that the Antichrist is someone who denies the Christ, who denies Jesus and denies that, uh, this, this truth about the Father and the Son. I think that's pretty straightforward. The Christian teaching... From the early days of Christianity, you, re, you can see this in Paul and Luke and the other writers in the New Testament. The early church believed that Jesus is fully God, so he's God in the flesh, but he's also fully man. I understand it's difficult to be fully two things at once, and there's a little paradox to that. I get that. It's tricky to hold both those ideas. But the idea that he would be God and man in one person, the early church held those ideas together, and we historically have held those ideas together. It's a very orthodox Christian teaching that you will find all over the world today. Jesus is God, Jesus is man. But these ideas pop up in John's day. You're already seeing it in 60 years after Jesus. You're already seeing the idea that Jesus was actually one or the other because he couldn't be both. So the idea would be Jesus was human but not divine. So you hear this today. Oh, Jesus was a really good teacher He's not God. I mean, that's a, that's a little much, but he's a good teacher, like, like Muhammad taught, like Gandhi taught, like all these people in, throughout history have taught. He's, he's, he's a man, but not God, right? You get that idea. And then in John's day, you have this idea that Jesus couldn't have been div uh, divine. So there's like Jesus the man, and he takes on the God identity called Christ. So Jesus takes on Christ for you know, three years, and then, he, and then he gets crucified. He's no longer Christ. And, he, like, there's this separation of, like, fully man just takes on some God for a couple years, and then it's gone. And then that Christ consciousness or idea can land on other people. And so you have this idea developing in the first century as well. Like, no, he wasn't, you know, fully God, fully, fully man, that, that idea. And you still see that same idea today. One, one, a popular book in sort of Christian circles in the last five years was a book by uh, Richard Rohr called The Universal Christ. I read that book, easily the worst book I've read in the last five years. I couldn't even finish it. So it's, it's not an endorsement, okay? But he, he talks about uh, this same idea that Jesus is not the Christ, that he was the, well, he was the Christ, but so are these other people and, and just this Christ consciousness that it descends on a person for a time being and stuff like, the, uh, stuff like that. That is a... That is just this heretical view, this, uh, this uh, idea that's popped up, um, that shows up off and on in different ways throughout history and, and apparently keeps coming up and gets best-selling books or whatever now. Uh, John is writing to talk, is in part talking about that, and he does not mince words. This idea is antichrist, he says. This is against what Jesus stood for, against who Jesus actually was. He was God and he was man, and, and this... This other idea is opposite of who he is and what he taught. So he's warning them, saying, hey, there's these new people, that, these people who've left the church and whatever, they're teaching this, and I want to warn you about that. And then he says it this way, verse 21. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, 
but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So this distinction that you'd make that, there's the, um, that, that the Son is totally separate from the Father, that there's no connection there, he's like, no, no, Jesus is God. He, he's, he's, there's God the Father, God the Son, but, but it's still God no matter how you, how you sort of slice that. Um, John says this is the true nature of reality. Now, he's going to use the word true here, and he talks about truth a, a, fair bit, a fair bit in this letter. So I want us to just spend our time a little bit on that because I've already said some things that are odd to the modern world, that Jesus was God and things like that. And I think if you back up before those kind of claims, you have to go like, well, what actually is true? And how would we even know it's true? And, and John goes there a little bit. Um, I think we need to dial in because he says, you know this is the truth and no lies of the truth. I and mean, he's going to get into those ideas a little bit. Um, I want to give you a couple ideas to, to hang, hang your head around. Like it just really, uh, I want these ideas to kind of stick with us because I think this is very foundational stuff uh, about truth. Number one is this, um, truth exists. That should be obvious, right? Truth exists. Is that true? See, you can't avoid it. Like, is that a true statement? I, like, okay, truth exists. There is such a thing as truth. Uh, let me just give you a little, a little like, philosophical detour here for a second because I think it's important. We, um, most of us grew up in a world that we would call the modern world. And usually when we say the modern world, we're talking about like, oh, we have, you know, we have phones and technology and microwave ovens and all these things that we got over the last 50 years. Um, that's part of it, yes. But the modern world uh, often, it, it traces its roots to the Enlightenment in the 17th century, 18th century, this idea that um, we are building a world based on science and reason and, and those kind of ideas, and that um, those are the, the, the base level of truth for the world that we kind of build around that. And so the modern world gave us, and other cultures prior to that were dialed into this, but the modern world also really dialed into this idea of um, there's goodness and there's beauty and there's truth and, and we can know things and we can learn and just in the age of discovery and enlightenment and all of that kind of stuff, that, that is kind of all wrapped up in what we call uh, the, the modern world. And truth is very important in that conversation. What is true? What is false? And let's live by the truth. And science is a search for, you know, truth and trying to, trying to understand the way things really are. Um, that's the modern world. Think of how modern it sounds now uh, to hear, the, to hear um, a, a few good men, the, the famous line where Tom Cruise says, I want the truth. And Jack Nicholson says, what did he say back? You can't, you all know, you saw this? It was good. good. Watch it, it's good. Uh, he says, you can't handle the truth. That statement makes a ton of sense in the modern world. I want this thing called truth. And the answer was, oh, it, effectively, Jack Nichols' answer is, there is truth, you're just not ready for it. Like, you're not going to be able to handle what is actually true here. It's not a discussion about truth in the sense of like, well, but what is this real? Is there any such thing as truth? That may, would make for bad script writing and just generally in that scene. But it was, a, it was no, there's an agreed upon truth. You're just not going to like it, right? That is a modern world. Whereas maybe uh, if you go beyond the modern world understanding, that whole courtroom drama thing would sound um, very different. In 1999... 
I was living in Colorado, and I first became, I was interning at a church there, and I first became of, aware of postmodernism and postmodernity. And there was a lot of talk in the church circles I was running in in 1999, because church circles is something people run in sometimes. It's like the gang I used to hang with. It didn't, it's not cool, but it was, you know, my gang in 1999, church circles. We, uh, we would talk about postmodernism, which honestly, from that, I only heard that conversation in church. I wasn't hearing that conversation in mainstream culture, except in some weird philosophical corner of, I don't know, Reddit or something, whatever it was back then. I don't know. MySpace. I don't know. So we, uh, we were talking about postmodernism, and, and I remember going to a conference in Seattle and learning about it, and there's all these, all these things. And, and basically, they were saying, look, there's this philosophical movement. It kind of ha- traces its roots to France in the 1960s. There was philosophers like Foucault and Derrida, and they would, and they be- they would teach these ideas. And the postmodernism was sort of tearing down some of the, the claims of modernism, and it was saying, like, there is no objective truth. There's no grand mer- narrative. There's no meta-narrative. There's no big story to the world. Everything, uh, truth is much more subjective, and there's just individual tribal stories, and that's the way the world works. And so, uh, that was being talked about in the late 90s, and it trickles into culture, and I think social media has helped accelerate that to where we now say things like, well, that's just your truth and my truth. Not truth with a capital T, but lowercase truth. It's just your truth. It's my truth. This is postmodernism sort of played out in our culture. This is what this sounds like when we, when we accept that there's not these object, objective truths, that tr- all truth is just small t, truth, not capital T truth. And so the result of that is a lot of things become up for grabs. A lot of ideas are up for grabs. A lot of, um, a lot of uh, our experience of, of the world, it's just it's whatever you want, whatever you think. Um, and, and so we've moved away from modernism. Think about, like, look at this building for a second. Um, it is clear, and you look around this room, it is clear <coughs> that this was built from a culture uh, of modernity, a culture that said there's goodness, truth, and beauty, and we're going to pursue it. So much so that people cared enough to build this like French Baroque style of this in the 1920s, and, and the craftsmanship that goes into every detail in this room, because people cared, because just for movies, they thought it was worth building something beautiful. And this is why you come back to it you know, now you're like, oh, I love going to the bird. It's, this is different than the AMC or the Regal, right? Like, this is a different experience. This was built off of the foundation of modernity. We are going to reason and science, and we're going to achieve, and we're going to accomplish, and we're going to build beautiful things, and we're, because we could agree what beauty means. But you go into this postmodern world, and all beauty, and all truth, and all goodness, it's all relative, and it's all tribal and stuff, and, and generally, you don't crank out buildings like this anymore, because we can't even agree on 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 hardly anything. Um, you can see how badly that, that's going in culture today, our, our lack of agreement around truth or even an understanding about objective truth. Um, I think objective truth in our culture is really under assault. It's difficult to even talk to another person about truth in any meaningful way. Um, Writer David Blankenhorn says it this way about America. He says, We are haunted by the fear that our political adversaries no longer argue about a country we both recognize. This civic vertigo doesn't occur because they have suddenly gone crazy or will no longer admit facts. It occurs because almost no source of truth, no validator of reality is still trusted by most Americans. 
The problem is not bad people. This is what occurs when good people in a failing system develop divergent realities based on who and what they trust. Does that not describe the world that we live in today? It's not that we can't, it's not like my point's better than your point. We can't even agree what we're talking about. We have divergent realities that we're, that we're living in. It would be like if you and I wanted to argue, you know, maybe a modern argument, hey, is Babe Ruth better than Hank Aaron? And we talk about home run numbers and strikeouts and all this, and you know, this guy called his shot, and it was amazing. Oh, yeah, hey. But modern day, it's like, hey, do you think Babe Ruth is better than Hank Aaron? And someone goes, I think Joe Montana's the best. I'm like, wait a second. We're not even talking about football. We can't even agree the sport we're arguing right now. Like, how do, we, how do you compare home runs to touchdowns? It's not a thing. And this is a little bit what it's like in the world today with, with, our, with, our, with this erosion of, like, truth exists and not grasping it, right? And actually, it's not new. It's got a modern spin to it. It's got a digital spin to it. Algorithms are feeding it, but it's not new. John, again, writes about it, not just in 1 John, this letter, but in the Gospel of John, he records the conversation Jesus had. Jesus is going to be crucified, and he's, and he's brought on trial before various people. And one of the people he goes in front of is a, is, a, is, a, is a Roman governor named Pontius Pilate. And he's crucified before that guy. And they have this conversation, John, John chapter 18. Listen to this. Jesus, so he's talking to Pilate. Pilate's asking him questions like, what do you, why, why, why do you... Why are we going to crucify you? Like, what's your deal? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you're a king. Jesus answered, I'd like to, I'd like to believe that's how he said it. So you're a king. Jesus, finger guns and everything. Finger swords. I don't know what they had back then. Um, <laughs> did they finger sword? I don't know. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come to the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside of the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Pilate, Pilate is clearly postmodern, right? Or, I don't know, pre-modern, whatever. He's like... I, I can't argue your point. What is truth? Let's just go there. What even is truth these days? Who knows in the first century? It's wacky. And this is, we get a little glimpse of this is the mindset of the world. And, and read the history. That mindset does not go well for the Roman Empire over the next couple centuries. This erosion leads to the erosion of their entire, entire empire, right? Um, there's lots of reasons for that, but this is, this is part of it. So truth is, exists, it's real, it's knowable, there's, um, there's, it is worth seeking out, it is, I would argue, it is worth knowing the truth and living your life according to it, because if there is a way to be and a way not to be, um, if, if God actually has created and ordered the universe in a certain way, you will flourish most, you will grow most when you live in accordance with that, when you align your life with a revealed truth of the universe. And so John tells his followers in this letter that we're reading, he says, you know the truth, like you get this. And he, and he means there really is truth, which is the, my second point about this. The truth about God is foundational. Think about what we think is foundational in the world. When you go back to school, you're not taught, most of you in public school or whatever, you were not taught like 
the most fundamental reality is God, and everything is built on God and his ordering of the universe. We're not taught that. I went to public school too. You're taught math, science, evolution. You're taught the rules of grammar. You're taught some history lessons. You're taught all of these things. But the truth is, behind all of those things, before you get to science, before you even ask the first scientific question, before you ask the, the, the meaning and purpose of these things that happen in history, before you judge all of these things, before that is theology. Is God yes or no? It becomes like a decision tree. Is there God? Okay, if yes, then science connects to that. Science explains how he ordered the universe because we think there's order to it. No God, then science has different questions about why are we here, what are we doing? Um, same thing with history and all that. It's like the original question is God or no God, and after that, if there's God, there's meaning and purpose, and it's, history has an arc, and it's directed towards something. If there's no God, then it's kind of whatever we want to make it as we go. Um, and so the truth about God, the question about God is foundational. And you may think, oh, you're a preacher. Of course you're supposed to say that. You're just a religious guy saying that. That's not just me saying that. I heard atheist Richard Dawkins say this on a podcast two weeks ago. Basically what I'm telling you now, they asked him sort of the God question. He said, I think the question about God is very important. It's a foundational question and, and like more or less saying like, all these other things are going to flow out of that. You, you need to answer that question. That's important. And then he said, and we've figured out in science that God doesn't exist. And I was like, oh, Richard, stay in your lane, bro. You're so smart, but this is not your thing. Like, go do biology. You kill it, man. But this is not your, like, it doesn't, no, it, that's not how it works. But nonetheless, it was a good podcast. Um, but there's this foundational thing, this, this foundational tr truth about God. The idea that God exists and Jesus is his son. That I would say foundational for Christians, but I would, I would try to argue at least that that is a, 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 the nature of the reality of the world. Um, and from that foundation, a lot of things flow out of it. What we believe about sex or the body or food or how it's to be used or, or relationships or forgiveness or social justice or any of these things. All of these things are going to be built on some foundation. And what we believe about God matters about all of those things. After this series, we're starting August 20th, we're going to start a five-week series about the body and about sexuality and all of those things kind of related to the human body. That, that whole conversation is a conversation, and it's an important one, but it is built on a foundation of something else. It is built on the foundation of truth is real, truth exists, God, God is real, um, and Jesus is his son, and, and God has revealed to us the nature of reality and, and truth. Um, I, and I saw... So we're going to teach through that. I, I believe, as John does, who writes this letter, that Jesus is the truth, and that shapes my life and my understanding of the world. Understand that any time you make a claim about truth, you are building upon some foundation. Like if you said, it's a very American thing, hey, I think sort of a libertarian argument. If you said, I should be free to do whatever I want whenever I want, as long as I don't break any laws. Well, that is a way to think about the world, and that is a very modern American, postmodern American way, I suppose, of thinking about the world. That's not the way everybody thinks about the world. That's not the way everybody in history has thought about the world. That's the way you and I might think about the world today. Understand that we didn't make that idea up, that I should be able to do whatever I want, whatever I want, as long as I don't break any laws. That idea was handed down to us by parents, friends, teachers, movies, music, books, throughout history, culture has handed that idea to us, and that is the foundation we stand. We didn't come up with that idea. We stand on the shoulders of other people who had that idea before us. So I'm not saying, so if you want to say, is it good or bad or true or false, you have to first look at what foundations that even come from. Uh, a good friend of mine, 
he and I met the other day for coffee, and um, we had one of those conversations guys in their 40s have, which is, are you on statins? Because, so, uh, if you don't know what a statin is, you will. Um, he's, he said to me, oh yeah, I'm starting to take statins. And he says, quote, I think everybody should be on them. Now, that's an interesting statement. That is a statement that he believes to be true about reality. Now, I come from a different place on that. I'm like, I don't think you should be on anything for the rest of your life if you don't have to. Like, I think we should figure this out. I don't think God designed the body to need to be on something that Pfizer made for the rest of your life. Like, I just don't think in the history of the world that's the true understanding of the nature of reality. We had different ideas on that. And he's a smart dude, and he's well-researched. And I, I actually would say he's researched it more than I have. So I'm not going to say, like, oh, he's so wrong. But my point is, when you have conflicting views about the nature of something or about the truth of something, you have to back up and go, what, who, are, who do you listen to? Where do you get this information? And what are they building on? There's always a foundation that comes before. So he can go find, and he can rattle off a few doctors that would back up exactly what he's saying, and I would go do the same. Oh, well, you need to listen to this person, listen to this podcast, and listen to read this. Neither of us are doctors or scientists, and so we don't know. We're just trying to figure it out, right? Um, don't come up to me afterwards and tell me if I should be on a statin. It's, it's, a, it's too long. It's just a conversation. Um, but but my, my point in bringing that up is all of those conversations still rest on another foundation of some other understanding of truth and where we get our information from. So uh, truth is, exists. Truth is foundation. Number three, God's spirit helps us discern the truth. We need discernment here. 1 John chapter 2, go back to the text, verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true, and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. He talks about this anointing, and this is really a reference to God's Holy Spirit. When you give your life to Christ and you are baptized into him, we believe that God's Spirit comes to live inside of you and resides in you. And one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is to help you discern truth from error, to help you um, understand things, to sort of open up your mind uh, in, in, in some ways to... To, to the truth, and it helps you not just recognize truth, but it helps you recognize lies when they come. And this is tricky, because I, I think the lies that come at us are not usually like blatantly false. They're like 10% false. So I think one of the, the, one of the devil's greatest tricks is not convincing the world that he doesn't exist. Uh, I think one of the devil's greatest tricks is lying to you with 90% of the truth to give you a 90% true statement that's only a little bit off, maybe to use a word differently than you might use it, and so it kind of kicks a different meaning in your head about something and helps you. You, you know, he doesn't need to get you to do a 180. He just needs you to get 5% off so that over time you are far away from God and you haven't recognized it because it's so slow. And I think the Spirit of God comes in us and helps us discern that. It's it, practically what that feels like. I think it's like a spiritual gut check where you hear something, a claim of truth, and you go, I don't think that's right. And it's weird because, like I said, they can be very close. Like if someone says to you, I just think God is love, my gut goes, correct, I'm with you on this. Like, yes, love flows God from 
him, right? But where do we go with that? Okay, I think God is love, therefore God loves, you know, 50 things. And then I want to be like, wait, are you, that though? Does he love that? Are you sure he loves this, this, this? Like, now we're starting to get into some of the weeds here. Like, what exactly are we talking about? Let's define the terms. And when you say God loves these things, you know, and, and I might get a gut check and go, I think you're saying God loves something that he's, he has actually said he doesn't love. So we, get, we need to, if the word love is going to mean anything, there must be like a not love that is the opposite of it. And I think maybe, is it possible God doesn't love some things? Because if you read through scripture, you'll find things he'll say he doesn't love. So you, you kind of have this gut check in your spirit where you go like, mm, something about that seems off. I may not know the, the chapter and the verse in the Bible to refute what I'm hearing, but something about it sounds off. Now, a spiritual gut check is different than an American gut check. Okay? Because there are things we will hear as an American, you'll go, that doesn't sound right. That's not the same. And when we conflate the two and say, God, you know, when we get to God and country, that's a, little, that's a little frightening. If you've ever traveled overseas and you've gone through the culture shock where you go, I don't know, whether it's like how traffic is done or f- some food, you know, some customs or whatever, you go to another country and, you're, and you know, a, a very typical culture shock thing to do is to go like, that's weird. Why do they do it that way? That's stupid. We do that better in our country. We do it right, you know. We all do this. We all, we all feel it at some level. That's an American gut check. Mm, that doesn't sound right to me as an American. I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about the Spirit of God that whispers to you, that sounds different than your voice in your head, and says, mm, notice that. Oh, well, that's, that's not it. There's something, there's something a little off about that statement. Just notice it. Even if you can't name exactly what it is, but, but pay attention to that. And I'll tell you, God's, God's voice Uh, God's spirit whispering to you sounds different than your own. I don't know about you, but my own voice sounds a little bit cynical and a little bit like, that's never going to work, that's stupid, blah, blah, blah. God's voice does not sound like that in my head. It's it's a little more upbeat than that. It's a little more like, no, this is what you're going for and this is what can be. Um, So over time, learn to hear God's voice over your own so we can discern the truth. And then finally this... um, Stay plugged into the truth and the power. First John, back to finish out this chapter, verse 28, listen to what he says. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. How many times in the previous verses and in these verses does John say one of his favorite words, abide? It's the word it means to remain, right? To, to hold fast, to cling to, to stick with. And so he, he says, stick with this Jesus, stick with that spirit, and you will have confidence. You will know the truth. You will understand. Um, you, will, you will have uh, knowledge and, and confidence and wisdom and discernment. Um, this is a favorite theme that John picks up in the Gospel of John and here in, in his letters. Um, I, I truly believe... Um, God has given us all that we need to handle this moment. Like, it, it, there, are, there are lies, and the lies are clever, and, and there are deceivers out there. Um, but there always has been, and I, and I actually think we have what is needed to handle it, to, to, to not go crazy with it, you know? Um, he, it's not like God is surprised by AI, you know, it's not like, man, they made some crazy algorithms, didn't see that coming. Like, like I, think, I think God can foresee, the creator of the universe can foresee how this will go, and he's given us tools that actually work 
right? The algorithms mess with the brainstem. But prayer also wires the brain in a certain way and, and lights things up in your mind. Um, Sabbath, taking a full day of rest and unplugging, that just works in the body. It just works. And you can be like, well, but I can grind set and I can do whatever and I can really push and I can... It just works. And God gave that to us way long ago and said, this is the way to... There's a rhythm to the way I have made you to function. So it's, it's there for you. Um, all the tools are there. The community of faith that we would gather like this and in groups and summer fun and all the things, that we would gather and encourage each other and help each other out. That just works. It's, it's messy sometimes. It's frustrating at times. But having people around you who can help you um, discern the truth from error, who can help you see what is true and all that, like having that community around you that can pour courage into you when you're not feeling it, that just works. And this is God's idea. The church is God's idea. Um, so it's all there for you. The encouragement from John is to stick with it and don't quit. And in fact, this is one of these things I would say the only way you fail at this is to quit. Like stick with it. And I truly believe God will, will grow you there um, and, will, and will develop your faith if you stick with the tools that he has given. So that's it. Be aware of the deceivers who are around us and stay anchored to the truth. And, and notice in culture when we are starting to wander from truth and where is that going to go. In fact, uh, Chesterton, who I, I, I love to quote, a uh, hundred years ago or so, he said this, those who leave the tradition of truth do not escape into something we call freedom. They only escape into fashion. He's not talking about Gucci. He's talking about you leave, if, you, if you leave truth and you go, I'm free, I can believe whatever I want, you're going to end up in fashion or you're going to end up in whatever is hot right now. When, you, when you're not anchored to the truth, you're going to be floating around on the wind of whatever, wherever the wind blows right now. This is why Jesus says, if you will obey my teachings, you're going to be on solid rock. But if you don't, you're going to be on, he called it like the shifting sands. Um, so I, I think we need to remember that. We're in a postmodern culture that's leaving the truth. They've, they've left the tradition of truth, and it's not making us free. Um, we claim to be free. We claim to be liberated. Um, and even the people who claim to be, you know, I don't need this person in my life, and I don't need this, and, I, you know, I'm powerful and I'm strong, and all of those things we say online, even those people are sitting there watching their likes to see how many people liked what they said. Because the truth is, we are communal creatures. We need each other. We want each other. We want affirmation and approval. Uh, even when we say we're strong and independent, we want other people to like that to prove how strong and independent we are while we're dependent on their likes. Like, like it's, it's weird out there. Notice what's going on um, and, and choose to walk a different path. Plug into God's word and power so you can recognize the truth from the lies. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the, the truth of Jesus and that he reveals what is true and right and good in the world. God, at various points, it is uncomfortable for all of us. There are things the scripture teaches, there are things that Jesus says that make us uncomfortable, that don't line up with our current experience, that um, don't fit in with our current cultural moment around truth and beauty and goodness and what's right and what's wrong and how should we be and how should we live. Um, 
God, we recognize all that, and we recognize that there's tension for all of us in the room. On, on some point, there will be tension for us. And so, um, God, we, we ask that you give us the truth when we need it straight and direct and give it to us that way. When we need it with a lot of grace and um, ease, give it to us that way as well. But, Lord, give us what we need and help us to um, really build our lives on, this, on, a, on a solid rock foundation um, so that we are not um, deceived as the, as the church that John was writing to was deceived. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.